Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Good morning, Valley Church. How are you doing? Good, good. Are you excited to go to God's Word with me? Okay, I am. I have been studying and meditating and spending time with Jesus this week, asking the Holy Spirit to teach me and to change me, um, and then tell me what He wants you to know. So I'm excited for where we are going this morning. We're in this series called The Table. We're looking through different passages in the book of Luke. Um, at when it often in the book of Luke, you find Jesus either leaving a meal or he's coming to a meal or he's sitting around the table with people. He's listening to their stories, telling them about the kingdom of heaven. And what I love is that is really good news for you and I, because often Jesus met with sinful people and he ate with them. And that's good news for you and I, because that's us. So if Jesus came into your house today, you know what? He would sit at your table and he would eat with you and he would listen to your stories and he would tell you about the kingdom of heaven. And so I want you to think with me about the tables that you have in your home. Maybe it's an old table. Maybe you just got a brand new table. Maybe it's a really large table. Or maybe you just have a card table. It doesn't matter what your table looks like. Did you know that one of the greatest evangelistic tools that God gave you that I would say probably all of us have in our home is your table. And so can I encourage you through this series, even this week, to invite people to come and sit around your table, invite them over for a meal, even if all you can afford right now is ramen noodles or mac and cheese. That's okay. Jesus can use a card table and ramen noodles and you loving people and introducing them to Jesus. So take that with you this week. Now I want you to think about your favorite memories that happened around a table growing up and your worst memories that happened around a table growing up. I'm sure there is tons of them out there, but I wanna share with you my favorite memory and my worst memory. Um, I'm going to start out my message by sharing my worst memory with you around the table, and then I'll close it sharing with you my favorite message. So you can imagine with me, I was about seven, eight years old. Um, Remember that I grew up in a large family with 11 kids, so counting my parents, that was 13 people around our kitchen table. And one night my mom made a huge stock pot, those really big um, stock pots full of soup for the family. And this soup was scalding hot. And so my mom decided she would ladle up the soup, put it into everybody's bowl before we, we often sang and then prayed together before a meal. So before we sang and prayed, gave it a little bit of extra time to cool down. Well, I got to sit by my mom. You know, it was special to sit by mom or dad at the dinner table. But I was starving. 
I'm sure he'd been outside playing all day long, and my impatience got the better of me. I would love to say I've become a very patient person, but I still struggle with patience today. But that night, we're sitting around the kitchen table, and my dad starts to pray, and my impatience got the better of me. My hands were folded. I remember my head was bowed, and I thought, if I lean forward, I can put my chin on the edge of my soup bowl, just tip it slightly, and like lap a little bit of the soup, and nobody will know because everybody's eyes are closed. So my dad's praying, and he liked to pray long prayers, so that's why I was like, this is crazy, like I'm starving, and I knew the soup was hot. I just didn't realize how hot it was. So I tip my chin forward, I slightly push on the bowl, and soup spills down the front of me and burns a part of my stomach. And do you think I screamed? No. Because if I screamed, my whole family would know what I had done and I probably would have been in trouble. So I'm like, "Mm," you know, like sitting there. And to this day, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I still have a big burn mark on the left side of my stomach to remind me of how impatient I was at the kitchen table that night. But I didn't tell my mom until a couple weeks later, and actually just the other day this week, I said, Mom, I'm going to mention you in my sermon twice. I said, do you remember what my worst memory around the kitchen table was? She started laughing. She said, yup, when you burn yourself from the soup. I was like, (laughs) so she knew I confessed and I still have evidence of this this day. That's my worst memory around a kitchen table. I'm sure some of you have them too. We are going to meet Jesus today around another table in the book of Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with me, with you. Turn to Luke 7 with me, and I'm going to um, pray over our time together, ask God to bless it. And what we're going to find in this passage is that Jesus is going to rearrange this dining room today in Luke chapter 7. But pray with me, Father God, I am excited for all you're going to do through your words of scripture, God, and in the lives of each person here. Jesus, would you get me out of the way, and would you help people to hear and see and feel your heart, God, today through this passage? Do what only you can do, and I thank you in advance for all that will come from this. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 7. Now, before I start reading it, in order for you to fully understand this passage, there's a lot of context, cultural context that we need to know before we read this. Because growing up, I didn't know any of that until I started studying this passage deeper. But there's a lot going on in Jesus' Jewish world um, when this story happens. So one thing we learned about Jewish people last week is that they are a very hospitable people. They love to have people over for dinners, to have people around their tables. And um, 
they're, uh, it's not weird for them if you were to invite yourself over to their house. Like in our culture, we think that's rude. But it wasn't back in Jesus' day. If you said, hey, I'm coming to your house today, they would be like, sweet, let's have a party, you know, a dinner party around the table. But there were five things that an honorable host would do back in Jesus' Jewish world that are very important. They'll come up on the screen, and you're going to need to know this as we read through this passage today. So five things that an honorable, honorable host would do. First, they would greet you at the door with a kiss of welcome. That seems kind of weird. Probably in our world today, you'd be like, whoa, okay? But in that culture, it was not weird. It was like when you go over to the Middle East and people do that greeting, friendly greeting, like on, on each cheek, like, you know, when you come into their home. So that was one thing you would expect from an honorable host. The second thing is that they would wash your feet as soon as you walked in their front door. This was very common because in Jesus' day, Everybody wore sandals, the roads, the streets weren't paved, so it was very dirty, dusty. There were even open sewers back then, so feet were filthy. So you would get your feet washed. If you could afford a servant, then your servant may wash your guest's feet. The third thing is that an honorable host would give you olive oil to cleanse your hands before the meal. Olives were used for many things back in Jesus' day, still are today, and um, one of them was used to cleanse your hands before the meal. The fourth thing is that if you were a special guest, a very esteemed guest, when you came to someone's home, they would have special ointment that they would anoint you with on your head when you came to the dinner. And then the fifth thing that especially devoutly religious leaders in Jesus' day would do is not only would they invite people to come sit around the table, but they would invite a second group of people to be present in the room. But this second group of people would sit in the perimeter of the room, sit or stand against the outside wall, and they could watch all the special guests eat around the table. And if there was leftover food, then the host would offer it to this second group of people. Often that second group would include the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed in that society. So five things that an honorable host would do back in Jesus' Jewish world. Now we're going to look at the first verse, Luke 7, starting with verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, we will find out later that this Pharisee, his name is Simon. So if you hear me talking about Simon, this is the honorable host. Um, the Pharisees were the religious leaders back in that day, but we would find it kind of weird. Why is a Pharisee, a religious leader, inviting Jesus to a dinner at his house? Because we know from Scripture that the Pharisees hated Jesus. But here we find Simon inviting Jesus to dinner at his house. Now, it doesn't say, but I believe from a few chapters earlier as you're reading that the Pharisees were always watching Jesus. And they were always trying to set a trap for him so that they could accuse him of blasphemy 
of false teaching. They wanted him arrested. They wanted him gone. And so what better way for Simon the Pharisee to trap Jesus than in his own home? Get him his own space. He can watch Jesus really closely around this dinner table. Not for sure, but that could have been why. Now you'll notice each week we've had a different table up here on the stage, and this week it's very different. This table is very low to the ground. Today we have tables that are waist high, they have chairs around them, but not back in Jesus' day. Back in Jesus' day, tables were very close to the ground, and when it says he reclined at table, there were pillows around the table, and you would recline on your left side, lean on your left side, and then you would eat with your right hand. So if you remember with me, um, on the Passover, when Jesus is with his disciples around the table, uh, do you remember John, the beloved disciple, reclining and leaning back on Jesus' chest, it says? And we think, well, that would be really weird and awkward if he was sitting in a chair. But he wasn't. So it wasn't really that awkward because if Jesus is right over here, all John has to do is just lean back a little bit. And you'll notice, so their heads were by the table and their feet were facing away from the table towards the wall. So totally different in Jesus' world. Now we're going to continue on in verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Do you see how this dinner party all of a sudden took a crazy turn? It just got like really weird all of a sudden, okay? So Simon's having this dinner party, I'm sure with his, some of his friends, his other religious leaders of that day, and Simon would have been considered one of those devoutly religious people, so there would, have been, there would have been that second group of people in the room standing or sitting against the wall. Well, we see that this woman comes in and just invites herself to the dinner party, which is not really unusual, right, in that day. But what do we know about this woman? It says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's how everybody knew her, a woman of the city who's a sinner. Now, it doesn't say for sure, but most people believe that this woman was a prostitute. Whether or not she was, we can't say for sure, but it seems that way because everybody knew her and they all knew what her sin was. It was very public. But when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in Simon the Pharisee's house, she brings an alabaster flask of ointment that's very expensive perfume from the country of Egypt. And then we find her standing behind Jesus at his feet, and she's not just crying, because usually when you cry, it's like a little bit of tears. No, this woman is weeping. 
She's having an emotional breakdown at Jesus' feet, probably in front of a group of men who are sitting around this table. She is just being real and raw. She is losing it (laughs) at Jesus' feet. When's the last time you've allowed yourself to just lose it on Jesus' feet? To be real and raw and emotional, to feel deeply. You know, Jesus can handle that. He can, and he was not stopping this woman from losing it on him. So she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head. This is very significant in Jesus' Jewish world because what you need to know is that Jewish women never let down their hair in public. They always kept it covered. The only person that would see a woman's hair down was her husband. And so here at this dinner party, not only is she having an emotional breakdown at Jesus' feet, she unbound her hair in public, and Jewish woman's hair was viewed as their glory. So she's literally wiping Jesus' feet with her very glory. And this was beautiful to Jesus. Here's something else you need to know about women in Jesus' Jewish world. They were viewed as like second-class citizens. They were oppressed in that society. And so women needed a generous lifting up from their shame and their oppression. And Jesus is about to do that in this dining room, at this feast. Now, if you actually look in the Jewish Mishnah law, there is a law that states a Jewish man can rightfully divorce his wife and leave her no money for three different things. The first one, if she unbinds her hair in public, if she spins in the streets, or if she talks to any man that is not her husband. So let me just ask you, women who are here today, how many of you came to church with your hair unbound? It's down. Okay, there's, there's a lot of us. How many of you have talked to another man this morning that is not your husband? A lot of us, okay? In Jesus' Jewish world, your husband could rightfully divorce you for that and leave you no money. Do you see how low women were in that society, they needed a generous lifting up. And Jesus is about to do that. So she's anointing Jesus with her tears and the very hair of her head, her glory. She's kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, like I said, there's a lot of cultural things that are happening in Jewish world. And there's one more thing I want to tell you about. This is not in the passage, 
but through my study this week of the Jewish world, and many theologians actually believe that there was not just one jar that this woman brought to Jesus' feet, but there was two jars. The first jar being the jar of ointment, but that she also brought a second jar. And that jar would be her lacrimatory, her tear jar. Because back in Jesus' day, Jewish people wanted to live out the scriptures, not just listen to them, but to physically live them out. So you can look this up. Jewish woman took this verse from Psalm 56, verse 8, to heart and actually physically practice this. Psalm 56, 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so because of that verse, Jewish women in Jesus' day would have something called a tear jar. And when they were feeling grief, sorrow, deep sadness, maybe then when their men went off to war and they would weep or cry, they would take these tear jars and open their eyes and catch their tears in a jar because they knew that God collected every tear that they cried. These women would then, as an act of worship, take their tear jars to worship the Lord. They would pour them out before him because they believed that God saw and collected all their tears. Even when their men would come back from war, it was a way that they could show their men when they poured them out how much they were missed and deeply loved. And I believe that this woman brought two jars with her to Jesus' feet. Not just the ointments, but also her tear jar. We also know that she was crying, so she had those tears as well. Either way, imagine yourself in this room at Simon's dinner party. Do you think this scene just got really awkward for Simon in his own home? Yes. So let's pick it up at verse 39. It says, Now when the Pharisee Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus goes on, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So go back with me to verse 39. <laughs> Simon doesn't say these words out loud. He only thinks them in his head as he's watching Jesus. But you know who knows his thoughts? Jesus does. He knows Simon's self-righteous, prideful thoughts in that moment. Did you know 
when you think nobody else knows what you just thought, there is someone who knows? Jesus knows. Jesus knows every thought you think. And here, Simon's thinking this thought, if Jesus, who claims to be this holy rabbi, really knew who this woman was, she's a sinner, a prostitute, he would not want her to touch him. You see, Simon thought that he was all good. He was religious. He knew how to live in a good way that honored God. But you know what Simon's greatest sin struggle was? It was pride, self-righteousness. You know, Scripture says that God hates pride. He hates it. You see, this sinful woman at Jesus' feet, she knew she was a sinner. She knew it. And she knew Jesus was the only one that could save her. Simon just thought he had it all together. He knew what he was doing. His pride got the better of him. He thought he could honor God by doing all these really good things. His heart was pretty ugly. And this is when we're going to see Jesus rearrange Simon's dining room. So Jesus answers Simon's thoughts out loud. He tells Simon, I have something to say to you. And then Jesus does what he loves to do. He tells a story, okay, with a meaning. Jesus says, there's a certain moneylender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's about a year and a half's worth of salary back in Jesus' day. And the other owed 50. That's only about a month and a half. So a big difference of debt. And when neither of them could pay, the moneylender canceled the debt of both. Which is going to love him more? And Simon answers correctly. Well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. See, Simon didn't realize his sin of pride and self-righteousness. It was kind of like a secret sin. It wasn't visible to everybody. This woman's sin was very visible and blatant, like to everybody in the city. They all knew who she was. But you know, Simon had a lot of secret sins of his own and his thought life, maybe gossip, but things that he wouldn't consider gossip. Other things, think about things in your own life that you think, nobody knows this. It's a secret sin, but Jesus knows. Then verse 44, Jesus is going to turn toward the woman. It says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, so Jesus takes his eyes off Simon, and he switches and just locks eyes with this sinful woman at his feet. And he's going to keep his gaze on her through the rest of this passage. But as he's talking to the woman, or as he's looking at the woman, he's going to talk to Simon. First thing he says to Simon while looking at the woman, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman, Simon? Or are you just seeing her sin? Do you see this woman who's created in the image of God? 
that I love. Church, I was convicted this week in studying this that I need to see people before I see their sin. I need to see people who are created in the image of God that he loves before I see their sin and their shame. And that's who I want us to be at Valley Church. There are so many people that live out here in the valley that feel like their sin and their shame prevents them from ever walking through the doors because they think they're going to be judged and that's all we'll know them by. I want Valley Church to be a place that sees people, men and women, who are created in the image of God that God loves that Jesus can save. Can I encourage you to see with Jesus' eyes? Have Jesus' eyes for people. God saw Simon's heart, and he saw this woman's heart. And it was the woman's heart that was beautiful because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So he says, Simon, do you see this woman? And then think about those five honorable things a host would do for their guests because we're going to find out what Simon didn't do and Jesus is going to call him out in his own house. He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, her very glory. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you see all the things Simon didn't do for Jesus that he should have done in Jesus' Jewish world? And this sinful woman of the city, this prostitute, came and did for Jesus, her Messiah, the Savior of the world, what Simon was too good to do. For Jesus, his pride got in the way. Jesus is going to generously lift this woman up and he's going to kind of bring Simon down. He's going to rearrange the dining room. And he said to her, Jesus is still looking at this woman, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman knew. She knew how sinful she was. She didn't need to have everyone else pointed out to her. And she knew the only person who could save her and bring her the peace that her heart so longed for was Jesus. 
Can you imagine with me, if this woman was truly a prostitute, how many men she may have been with trying to fill that void in her life, and it always came up empty until she realized the only person that could bring her total peace was Jesus. And so she didn't care what Simon or the other people in the room thought of her. She invited herself right in to this table to meet with Jesus. And Jesus didn't push her away. No, he generously lifted her up out of her shame, out of her sin, and restored her honor and dignity. She wasn't afraid to be real and to lose it on Jesus because she knew who Jesus really was. Church, don't be afraid to be real with Jesus. Sometimes I think too often we're like Simon. We need to look the part, look like we have it all together. We're strong. We can get through this life. That's not who Jesus is looking for. He's looking for those who know they're weak, who know they're sinful, and who humbly come before him. You know, Jesus knew his identity and his purpose. And three chapters earlier in Luke 4, Jesus stated it. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And Jesus didn't just come to do it for this woman. He came to do it for you. Jesus contended for this woman around this table in front of probably a group of religious men. And do you know what? Jesus contended for you too when he went to the cross and he shed his perfect blood. He willingly died because he knew you couldn't save yourself. And so he gave his perfect blood for you and the good news is that he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. He defeated sin, death, and the grave and he's in heaven preparing a place for you. All you have to do is come humbly before him and put your faith and trust in him alone. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this sinful woman got it. We would have thought that Simon would have gotten it, but he didn't. He missed it. But this woman didn't. You know, I want to close my message like I said I would telling you about my favorite memory that happened around a table and I'll try to do it without crying but I'm already crying so it probably won't work get my tear jar right yeah okay um I was about probably nine or ten and it was around my family's kitchen table again and it happened to be good Friday and Good Friday is coming up this week. And we were having family devotions, and we were reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And as my mom explained it, I remember feeling so overwhelmed. The reality of my sin, like who would love me that much to go to the cross and die for me? I don't deserve it. You know, so much of this world says, you're worthy, you're worthy, you deserve all these things. No, we don't. We're sinful people. But Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross. And so as my mom is explaining it, I start to feel water filling up my eyes. (laughs) Um, God has just made me to be a person that feels deeply, and I used to be embarrassed about it. But I'm not anymore because I know that God collects my tears in a bottle and they are precious to him. And so I thought, well, I don't want my older siblings to see that I'm crying because that's embarrassing and they'll think I'm weird. And so I'll just look down. But that's the bad thing to do when you're crying because then the tears just keep coming. And so I kind of reached up to wipe my eyes and um, someone saw my tears at the table and even though I was embarrassed and I was trying to hide them and it was my mom and she said precious your tears are beautiful do not ever feel bad for showing emotion and and realizing the deep love that Jesus had for you in going to the cross don't ever be embarrassed about those tears and that was so special for me. I've never forgotten it at the kitchen table. And church, I just want to encourage you this week leading up to Easter, don't be embarrassed to cry, to show your emotions to Jesus. He catches your tears in a bottle. They are precious to him. I just want to encourage you, feel deeply this week what Jesus did for you. You and I were undeserving, but Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross and he gave his life for you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for meeting us around the table today and for showing us again that you don't look at the outward appearance No, you look at our hearts. God, I pray that we would have the heart of this sinful woman that is just so real and raw, that we would recognize the reality of our sin and that we would humbly come before you and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm unworthy of your love, but thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. And God, leading up to Good Friday and Easter this week, I just pray for each person here that they would allow themselves, give themselves the permission to feel deeply what you did on their behalf. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that we don't receive. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.